Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Welcome back once again to the GM Shuffle. We've got a great episode coming up. We're going to talk to Ben Ryder, our friend. He, a former writer of Sports Illustrated, does a tremendous job. Used to cover baseball for SI, and now he's in an amazing job with the Houston Astros. He has a podcast out called The Edge. you got to listen to it. It details exactly what happened with the Astros cheating scandal, what went wrong, who's culpable, who isn't, and all the rest of it. So make sure uh, you listen to that in this episode. Also, we're going to pick some games. Good games here, right? Bills and Chiefs, two four and one teams. you got the Packers and Bucks, Browns, Steelers, all great games uh, and Mike will give his thoughts on those plus we'll discuss what happened with Le'Veon Bell but trade deadline Mike it's interesting in football it's not the same as in other sports you know in baseball everyone knows July 31st trade deadline you make a big move stretch run basketball trade deadline you get some major moves made hockey as well in football you don't often get like a major move but this year it's interesting when you look at some of the players who are being rumored to be on the move because on the one hand you say all right it's not working out let's just do something and see what we can do and move on and then other times, like with Le'Veon Bell, you look around, there's no interest, and you just cut the guy. So we're less than three weeks away from the November 3rd trade deadline, and there's some moves out there that could be made. Before we talk with the players specifically, why do you think this year's deadline, Mike, could be a big sell-off? I, I think, A.D., this is the perfect storm in terms of uh, trades and the movement especially as COVID has impacted the season for so many teams. So let's just say the two New York teams, right? They're 0-5, both of them. They're not going anywhere. You know, next year, they have to get their caps in order. Now, the Jets won't have any issue with that because they're not talented enough. But the, the Giants, you know, they, right now they have about $25 million of cap room, assuming the cap stays the same, which means they're going to have to get rid of a lot of players. Or to just to kind of get into the free agent market, or the Falcons, who are zero and five now, change coaches, huge, huge cap problems next season, huge cap problems. You're not winning anything this year, and so you probably should sell off some assets. So those assets, you know, you typically don't want to trade Julio Jones, but if someone's going to willing to offer you a first round pick for Julio Jones. And you've got to cut cap room next year. Why not? I mean, you know, Philadelphia, Zach Ertz, I mean, he's available. I mean, you know, they're, they're going to deny that he's available, but he wants a new contract. He wants to get paid like Travis Kelsey. He wants to, he wants to uh, you know, get paid like uh, George Kittle. The, the Eagles have made it clear they're not going to, even though the Eagles are not in a position to tank. They are in a position that they need to shed a lot of cap money next year because they're so far over the cap. Now, they have a lot of guys they can get rid of, the Jason Peters and all those guys. But if you can get an asset for Zach Ertz, and I'm sure they're going to want a good asset for him, then you've got to make that move. It's the same thing you know, with Minnesota. Travis, uh, I mean, Kyle Rudolph's available. There's so many guys who are available if you just play it right in terms of looking at next year's cap and knowing who's going to be on the market, work backwards, right? Go to the 2021 cap, see who has a high cap number, see what team doesn't have the cap room, and then start making phone calls. You mentioned some of those names. Zach Ertz is a guy who's obviously been very productive for the Eagles, but you're right. He came out publicly before the season even started and said he wanted to get paid like those other guys, those top flight tight ends you mentioned. And listen, Zach definitely is in their company, although this year he has not been nearly as effective. You can point to that for a variety of reasons. You look at Dwayne Haskins with Washington, and I feel like, and this is one, Mike, where, listen, everyone knows he's available. 
Well, obviously, there's no chance Ron Rivera is going to give this guy another chance. He's seen enough, and he's moving on now. And for Haskins, you feel like, hey, if I can get like a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick, Washington would be thrilled. Otherwise, we'll just have to cut him. What about a guy like Sam Darnold? Sam Darnold's a first-round draft pick with the New York Jets, but as you mentioned, they're an awful team. Could you imagine trading Darnold now, taking for Trevor, or would that be too presumptuous? You want to wait until you actually have the number one pick, and then you could trade Darnold. Yeah, I think you want to wait on Darnold. I don't think you want to give him away yet, because you may not end up with Lawrence. You may not end up with Justin Fields. You may not end up with any quarterback that you want, so you've got to protect yourself. And the Jets are in no real to dump cap room next year. I think it's the teams that really have to dump cap room next season. I think those are the ones that you really have to pay attention to, and you really have to focus on, you know, and when you look at next year's cap, I mean, the Eagles, you know, the Saints, you know, but they're in the race, right? The Eagles are in the race. The Falcons right now, according to over the cap, are $24 million over the cap going into next year. So they're not going anywhere. They're going to lose. The Vikings are $8 million over the cap. They're probably not going anywhere. The Texans are over the cap going into next year. So the teams that have to make moves that have really no viability in the marketplace, you know, the Jets have a ton of cap room next year, so they can carry Darnold. You know, the Giants don't have a ton of cap room. The Giants are, you know, one of those teams that are kind of going to need to get rid of. They're going to have about $20 million of cap room. But you still have to add players. So the focus, the Saints, the, the 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 Falcons are one of those teams that are losing, that meet the criteria. They've got they don't have a lot of great players, but what they do have, they've got to dump because they're they're gonna have to dump them next spring anyway. So why not be the first to get there? So why not trade Julio Jones? So that's why I think it's the perfect storm. There's gonna be guys available based on the cap, based on what's going on out there in 2021 as the cap goes down, that you have to, like the Lions, let's say the Lions, right now they have 17 million of cap room going into next season. That's not enough room, especially if the cap goes down 20 million. So now they're 3 million. If they lose to Jacksonville this weekend, shouldn't they start selling off assets? Now, you you know, Bob Quinn's not going to do that because he may not be the general manager next year. But when you're the Jets, you know, Joe Douglas is going to be there. He signed a six-year rich deal, you know? And it's the same thing with, with uh, you know, I mean, everybody's calling for Adam Gase's head, right? Everybody in New York, back pages, they want Adam Gase's head. That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard, AD. Why would you fire, uh, why would you fire Adam Gase? He's doing exactly what you want him to do. He's losing games. This is what you want. He's, he's doing, why would I fire the guy who's doing exactly what I want him to do? <laughs> We're trying to get the number one pick. Keep losing, Adam. Great. I can take care of that for you guys. No problem at all. I mean, why would I want to take the play calling away from him? Like, keep calling plays. <laughs> like, I don't understand Jet fans. Like, I don't understand Jet fans. They got to be the, like, are you this dumb that you, why wouldn't you? You should embrace them. You should, you should have a pray down Bluefield Avenue for them. I mean, seriously, like, like, like Gase is doing exactly what you want him to do. He's got a bad roster. He's got no quarterback. Frank Gore's your best running back. Lose. Let him lose. As my grandmother used to tell me when I was a kid, it's your bed. You got to lay in it. So it, Gase made this mess. He's got to lay in it, right? He's got to lay in it. And the Le'Veon Bell thing, I don't even think they tried to trade him that hard because, I mean, Le'Veon Bell gets cut. He's got three teams interested in him. The Bills would have taken him. You know, now here's the deal. Nobody wanted to take the $6 million. You know, the, I mean, Douglas could have said to the Bills, hey, look, we'll pay the $6 million. We'll trade them to you. You give me a seventh. 
I think I think the Bills would have done it. Yeah, let's dive into Bell a little further because this is interesting. 19 months he was there. When you think about the Steelers and you go, oh man, the killer bees. When it was Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger, like all three getting it done. He's a marquee free agent. He signs. Never clicked with Gase. And we know this is an issue. When the head coach doesn't want you, when he opposes the sign from the outset, that's an issue. But the fact that they couldn't get anything from Mike, the, the Jets are responsible for the remaining $6 million on his base salary. Now, there's an offset clause that will defray it by the amount of the salary on a new contract with his next team. But looking back now, I, I didn't think he was like a great signing, but I thought, yeah, Le'Veon Bell's a productive running back. I never could have expected this kind of an acrimonious end after just 19 months. What the hell happened? I mean, it's just, you know, Gase didn't want him. You know, the kids, they're losing. I mean, there's players on the Jets that are texting other teams that, you know, they're like, are you kidding me? This is the worst team I've ever been on. I mean, look at the Jets. They, Joe Flacco's your quarterback. I love Frank Gore. They should trade Frank Gore to a team that has a chance to compete. Like, they should, the commissioner should come in and say, Frank Gore, at this point in your career, I'm going to put you on, I'm going to put you on the Bills, or I'm going to put you on a team that has a chance that needs a running back, because it's not fair. I mean, this poor bastard's going to be running up in there against Miami. They got no chance in the heat and humidity down there. I mean, and so, yeah, I mean, everybody's frustrated in New York. There's really not a really good team around them. And, you know, Mike McKagan, the former GM, did a horrible job of building this roster. And it's pretty obvious that his work that he did in four years has really paid no dividends to the team whatsoever. And, you know, they're paying a price for it today. And and some of it's Gase's fault. Some of it's really not. Whoever got that job with McKagan in the chair was going to pay a price. And Gase's career, obviously, as a head coach, has been paid for. You know, think about it. If they hire, this is how stupid the Jets are. They they got Matt Rule, right? They got Matt Rule sitting there. They can hire Matt Rule, but McKagan refuses to hire Matt Rule unless he takes Greg Williams. Like seriously, like seriously, you, you you're gonna let McKagan decide your staff for you? Hell, he can't pick any players. How are you gonna let him decide a staff for you? And Matt Rule told him, Bafangul, I got no interest in you. I'm out. I'll go back to Baylor. And he did, and now he gets the Carolina job at eight million a year. Seriously, like how dumb is that? You know, it's like Uncle Junior when he when he got Richie April when he got Richie April. I created a I created a false a false thing, and he fell for it. I mean, that's McKagan. He fell for it. Someone's gonna get, you're gonna get McKagan now with a coffee pot, just like Richie April <laughs> smashing against somebody's head at a restaurant. Remember when? Remember when Uncle Junior? I raised a, a non-issue, and he fell for it. You know, <laughs> that's that's McKagan. He raised it's, uh, hiring Greg Williams from Matt Rule was a non-issue, and he fell for it. And you know what? McKagan ended up with a dump truck full of trash, and you know, there's a refund. We always, you know, if you're not happy with service, we'll refund your trash. No question about it. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Four teams, right? Right now, have not won a game. They're the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Falcons, Giants, Jets, and Texans. We're going to do picks in just a second, but what's some sad news is San Francisco 49ers great. The Hall of Famer Fred Dean dying at the age of 68. Standout career at linebacker for Louisiana Tech. He entered the NFL as a second-round pick of the then San Diego Chargers. Defensive end right away became one of the league's best edge rushers. First Pro Bowl berth back in 1979. All-Pro and Pro Bowl spots in 1980. 1983, in fact, he had a great season. 17 and a half sacks. Most of the NFC, like I said, Hall of Famer. Mike, your thoughts on the passing of Fred Dean? I mean, you know, when I first got to San Francisco in 84, Fred was holding out. He wanted a new contract. And and he was, I've never seen anybody in my career get off the ball quicker than, than Fred Dean. I mean, Michael Dean Perry was as close to Fred Dean that got off the ball with innate quickness. But Fred Dean was remarkable. And 
we, he held out most of the year and I was on the team bus and I was sitting in the back of the bus with Ray Rhodes and we had just, and, and Fred returned after his holdout. And Ray Bob says to me, he says, now we're going to get some turnovers. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, now we got Fred, the ball's going to come out a lot quicker. And man, we did. And we won that Super Bowl in 84 because he could rush. And then he got hurt in 85. And Walsh used to make me always take uh, a VHS, a Walkman to the hospital to, uh, to show the players this tape. He always wanted them to see, you know, uh, movies and have ability so that he knew the team cared about the player when they were in the hospital. And Fred tore his ACL, which back in 84, 85 was a deadly injury, you know? And he always wanted me to show the players requiem for a heavyweight about how you can bounce back from injuries, how you can overcome overcome obstacles. So, you know, my fat ass gets in the car, I go over to Sequoia Hospital. I got my my VHS player. I got my Walkman. I load it all up. I get in the elevator. I go into the hospital room and there's Fred sitting on the edge of the bed. He's got a full cast on AD all the way up to his, all the way up to his groin, you know, cause that's what they did to ACLs back in the day. He's got a full cast on. He's sitting on the bed, smoking a cigarette in the hospital. And he looks at me like, what you want, boy? And I said, you know, Fred, Coach Walsh wanted me to bring, I ain't watching no goddamn movie. Get that thing out of there. Hey, can you go get me a pack of cigarettes? <laughs> And I said, sure, Fred, I'll go get you a pack of cigarettes. I went down to the to the cigarette machine in the lobby, got him two packs of cigarettes, brought him back up, said, thank you very much, Fred. Have a nice day. He left. He had no idea who the hell I was. He would have no idea. You know, he didn't give a shit. He was just interested in rushing the passer. But then he led us to Charles Haley. All of the reasons why we ended up drafting Charles Haley in 86 were because Fred Dean was so great. And what Fred Dean brought to the table, we just modeled the next guy that looked like Fred Dean, and it ended up being Charles Haley. So we went from one Hall of Famer to the other. <laughs> Very cool story there. <laughs> like you said, you didn't know who you were, but hey, give me these smokes, kid. All right, thanks. Hey, kid, go get me a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, the, the tape job up to the groin is brutal. Um, once again, rest in peace to Fred Dean and his family. When we come back, Mike and I preview the biggest games of week six. We get some big games, right? Browns and Steelers. It's a three-horse race right now in the AFC North. Plus, Bills, I got to bounce back against Mahomes and the Chiefs. Don't go anywhere. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
All right, once again, we continue here with the GM Shuffle. We take a look at Mike's picks last week, five, six, and one against the spread. And by the way, when it comes to all your picks, make sure you check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app. It's a phenomenal place in which you can make all your bets and make all your picks count. Mike, how is your record after week five of football? Uh, so now I'm six, eight, and one. I'm having a bad year, AD. I mean, I'm not, I got to bounce back. And I think a lot of my problems is, and I'm not making any excuses, but I mean, Doug Peterson trying a 57 yarder, I think he's taking it out on me. I'm taking this very personally, Senator. I'm taking this very personally, you you know, you know, but, uh, I I think we really have to do a better job of, I have to do a better job of monitoring injuries. So, uh, you know, when I look at my power rankings last week, in week five, I would have gone nine and four. I picked the wrong games. You know, I did the Giants. I picked them. I took the Indy. That was wrong. And I took Philly. So I was one and two last week. But I had, but I should have taken the Rams. I could have taken Tennessee, Miami. All of them said. But so I'm going to stick more with my ratings. But I think you have to really take into consideration. I need to do a better job for the listeners of really understanding the injury. And that leads us right into our first game, Cleveland-Pittsburgh, because the Brownies are beat up. You know, Baker's got the bad ribs. Odell, you know, was sent home the other day, whether he's got an ear infection, he's got pink eye, I don't know. But now we know this morning the Colts closed down their facility because they had a couple guys test positive. Could that be, and they played Cleveland last week, could Odell be stuck with that kind of problem? I don't know. But this is what I do know. Injuries are playing a huge factor on the power rankings because some of the numbers of these teams have some of the players in them that are no longer going to be there. Like the Arizona Cardinals, for example. Chandler Jones is gone, you know, so they lose their best pass rusher. They, they lose one of their best players on defense. Their secondary is atrocious. They can't cover anybody. You know, they have a hard time. I mean, Carolina moved the ball at will on them. Everybody can move the ball other than the Jets, you know, so... How do they match up to Dallas? I mean, that's going to be a really hard matchup. So my power rankings have to adjust to the injuries. And I think once I can do that, I'll get a better handle on it. I'm hoping it starts this week. No question. So Cleveland, Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, the Browns are banged up 4-1 versus 4-1. Is this going to be one of your picks or we're just going to discuss it? Well, I, I no, I, I like I, I, this one I'm going to wait on. I like Pittsburgh in this game. I, I really do. And I like Pittsburgh because of this. I think I think the Browns need to be able to run the football against teams to win. And if they can't, and and it's really hard to run the ball on Pittsburgh, especially out of two back sets, especially out of 12 personnel. The best way to run the football against Pittsburgh is out of spread. We saw Philly do it last week with Miles Sanders. He goes 75 yards for a touchdown. In fact, the Eagles didn't even get to 100 yards in the game rushing. That's how good this, this, this Pittsburgh run defense is. And now that their offense is coming around, I think they can take advantage of a Cleveland secondary that is very suspect. Now, Olivier Vernon's playing much better for Cleveland, and obviously Miles Garrett is a dominating player. But you got to believe that the Steelers still have a little bit of a, a distaste in their mouth. They're going to make sure they protect against Miles Garrett. I don't think Miles Garrett's going to see a single block the whole game. I think he's going to get chipped. He's going to get pushed. He's going to get shoved. I think there's going to be a lot of confrontation. I mean, I'm leaning towards Pittsburgh in this game. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to post all my picks Sunday morning on Twitter, but I'm leaning towards Pittsburgh here. All right, fair enough. Packers and the Buccaneers. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones. Dynamic duel there for Green Bay, currently 4-0. Taking on a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team right now at 3-2. You mentioned injuries there. LaShawn McCoy, Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, Jason Pierre-Paul, all those guys currently listed as questionable. Do you like Brady in the Bucs or Rodgers? Huge game on Fox. Uh, it's a great game. I have this game as, as a pick game, 
and both teams have rest, right? The Packers coming off a bye, Tampa Bay coming off a, a 10-day rest with Chicago. I think Tampa's really healthy. You know, they lose Vitae inside as a defensive tackle, but I think Mike Evans, I think everybody's healthy. Here's the fascinating thing about this week's slates, AD. So there's three teams from the North traveling to the state of Florida. We've got Detroit going to Jacksonville at a one o'clock start. We have Green Bay going down to Tampa Bay for a 425 start. And we have the Jets going to Miami for a 425 start. They, it's going to be hot in Florida. It, the one o'clock in Jacksonville is going to be in the mid 80s. It's going to be heat. The heat and humidity is really going to wear on them. And I think as we've seen from certain teams, if you're not in great shape in the fourth quarter, you're going to lose. I mean, I think that's what happened to the Chargers in Tampa Bay two weeks ago. They they wilted. You know, are the Jets in really good shape to handle the Miami Heat? I know it's going to be 425, but it's still going to be hot and it's still going to be humid. Same thing with Detroit. Are they good enough to handle the, the, the Jacksonville heat and humidity? You know, that's a game that, you know, everybody's picking Detroit. My numbers say clearly take Jacksonville in the game. Jacksonville's beat up, though. You got really a lot of injuries on Jacksonville. So I'm staying away from that pick one way or the other. But the reality of it is, is I like Tampa in this game only because I think the heat and humidity will be a factor. I think Brady will play better. I I think their defense will do a good enough job. They've got to control the ball. Tampa has to play complimentary football. I think you'll see LaShawn McCoy have a bigger role in this game as a nickel receiver, which they need. I think Ronald Jones, you can run the ball on Green Bay. I like it. I think it'll be a great game. I'm leaning towards towards Tampa. Bills and the Chiefs. Listen, Bills Mafia was out in full force, furious at their team's performance as they lose on Tuesday night football on CBS against the Titans. Tannehill and company. How about the Titans? They didn't play base, uh, didn't play football. Excuse me for 16 days. They come back and win. They're still unbeaten. Whereas the Bills defense got lit up, and uh, Mr. Allen goes back to his previous form of looking rather mediocre out there. Do the Bills bounce back now against Mahomes and company? And the last time we saw the Chiefs, they were getting pummeled. Their defense against Derek Carr, making him look like Dan Marino. They gave up 40 points in that loss. Bills, Chiefs, who do you got? You know, this one's this one's interesting because, you know, on the surface, you should take Kansas City, but the 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 Bills, the Bills are not healthy. I think the Bills, I mean, and this is one of those games that you better really, really check the injury report for Buffalo. I mean, because when you're looking at this game and you know what you saw on 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 Tuesday night when Buffalo had to go to Tennessee. I mean, they didn't have both starting corners, which really hurt them. They didn't have they didn't have Milano inside. That hurt them. They didn't have John Brown. That hurt them. Now, John Brown, they say, is active. He's going to play. You know, Levi Wallace is out, you know, and so is is the is White, the other corner, going to play? I think you got to really know which, which Buffalo players are going to play. I like Kansas City in the game. My numbers say Kansas City. I worry about Kansas City's defense. They haven't played nearly as well as they have in the past. Buffalo will play at the highest level. But just to me, Buffalo has to be able to have a healthy team. If they have Josh Norman out there, how are they going to cover this team? Josh Norman can't cover anybody. I don't know how Josh Norman keeps making money in the league. So for me, I think you got to pay really close attention on this one. I would not bet this game. The other thing I think we have to be really clear about is we hear this thing sharps all the time and movement all the time and where are the lines going. I think one thing I've learned after five weeks of, of really studying this is the noise is really getting a lot of us Monday through Friday. Because there's no freaking way anybody who's going to put $200,000 down on a game or $500,000 down on the game, because people do, that they're not going to wait until Sunday morning to do it. Because with COVID, how do you risk it? How do you risk betting Tampa Bay today? 
even though it's a pick'em game. I know everybody looks at numbers, right? So it's a pick'em game. You still have the money line in play. Why would you risk it if you didn't know what the injury situation is? You can only make mistakes on Friday. You can only make mistakes. Like Indianapolis, I made a mistake taking them over Cleveland because Costanzo didn't play. I knew Leonard wasn't going to play. I knew Costanzo wasn't going to play, but the impact was much greater than I thought. Clearly on my fault. I made a terrible mistake. But I think you got to really pay close attention Sunday morning. I would not, once we're here on Friday, don't use your betting app until Sunday morning, till you know exactly where you where these guys are, because we can only make mistakes. Like I said, you're kind of trending towards Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, KC, unofficial picks. You will tweet M Lombardi NFL with your actual picks. Once again, you can follow Mike on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me, Adnan S. Furk. Any other games you want to discuss, Mike? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, like... Uh, Let's talk about let's talk about Cindy Indy Cincinnati Indianapolis. I mean, we talked about Philip Rivers last week. I think this is a huge game for Philip Rivers. Now, whether they play it or not because of the injury, because of the COVID situation, that remains to be seen. But I think that's a huge game. I like Indy in that game, but I think Rivers really has to play a lot better in there. And I love Miami. I, I really I almost have this urge to do a three-game teaser and base it on the Florida Heat because I think the Heat's going to be a really a factor. I think Detroit is not healthy. I think Detroit is healthy. I think Jacksonville's not healthy. I lean towards Jacksonville, but once again, the health bothers me. And then when I watch the Rams, it's funny, AD, the Rams are my number one team in the power rankings. And you say, well, Lombardi, your power rankings ain't worth a shit if the Rams are the best team. Well, the reason the Rams are the highest rated team is because my power rankings are based on statistics and the Rams are 4-0. and They're the best team in the NFC East. They've beaten every NFC East team. So why wouldn't they have the highest rankings, right? It's not based on a subjective grade. I'm not the Russian judge grading the 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 the, uh, the bobsled. I mean, I'm not doing that. I, I'm grading it based on the numbers, and these numbers that they put in are based on playing four bad teams. So the Rams are really good. I like the Rams against San Francisco. Now, everybody will tell you the line's moving towards San Francisco. San Francisco, I think San Francisco's played really horrible. I mean, they've beaten two New York teams, but other than that, they can't beat anybody. They couldn't beat Philadelphia at home. They got whooped. Last year, Sean McVay goes into San Francisco. He loses 34-31 without a very good team with an offensive line that didn't play well against the San Francisco defensive line. So these are the kind of things you got to keep working through. So that's a game that I definitely have my eye on. I love Miami. I like Miami, but I'm going to post them all. I like Miami. I like Minnesota. And I like Washington. Those are the other ones I like. All right. Once again, for the official picks from Mike, go to his uh, Twitter handle and uh, Instagram, M Lombardi NFL. He'll tweet those out on Sunday morning. Coming up next, Ben Ryder, sports journalist and host of the Cadence 13 docuseries, The Edge, Houston Astros, which chronicles the biggest baseball scandal in modern history. You don't want to miss this interview. It's next. A pleasure to welcome back to the podcast our friend Ben Ryder. Wrote 26 cover stories, longtime senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He's a tremendous baseball writer. Remember his profile, Hideki Rob in particular, was phenomenal. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. And now The Edge. It is a six-part documentary podcast presented by Cadence 13 and Prologue Projects in which Ben just focuses on that cheating scandal that tarnished the World Series 2017 victory. The Edge launched Wednesday, October 7th. New episodes available every Wednesday through November 4th. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, or wherever you get your shows. Ben, welcome back to the GM Shuffle. Listen, I cannot wait to listen to this. I'm obviously locked into seeing what the Astros are doing right now and extending this ALCS against the Rays, but 
What's the biggest reason that people should listen to this podcast? If you know the story, which all sports fans do, what does your podcast do that nothing else will do? Guys, I thought I knew this story better than anybody else, right? I mean, I'd spent years of my life on the Astros, uh, starting in 2014 with my cover story when they were terrible, in which I predicted that they were going to win the World Series in 2017. Then actually, then when that actually happened, I wrote my book about them. Um, obviously, I missed something big, right? Um, when the cheating scandal came out, I was hit by a ton of bricks about it, uh, but that made me determined to go back into this story, um, look at it with fresh eyes, spend really the entirety of 2020 diving into it and figuring out exactly what happened here, why it happened, what it means for baseball. And I got to tell you, I have spoken to a lot of people for this podcast. I've discovered things that I didn't know that I know will surprise people. Uh, I, I, I think that I've gotten to the bottom of this story, and I, I think that people should should tune in and hear what I have to say. Ben, you know, it's always interesting when you go back and look at something after you've been through it once. And so tell us, what was the one thing that just startled you after you really dug deep into the whole case and as you kind of came through it? You know, when when Jim Garrison went through the JFK files and, and he looked at it, he came away thinking, why is that umbrella guy there? And it just bothered him. Like, what's the one thing that bothers you? The umbrella guy bothers me too, by the way. Hmm. But like, why was an umbrella guy on Dealey Plaza? Seriously. I mean, anyway, that's a whole other story. But the reality here is like, what's the one thing that bothered you that you still can't get out of your mind? Well, we're halfway through this series, Mike. Uh, there's three episodes to go. There are going to be a lot more revelations going forward that I don't want to give away quite yet. But one thing that really bothered me, uh, and I put it right in the first episode, you know, it's really the first person you meet. Um, we don't think much about the victims of this scheme, right? We think about the perpetrators trying to figure out why they did this. You know, we think about, I guess, the Dodgers generally as potentially a victim. But we don't think about the individuals that this thing affected. And the first guy I talked to is a pitcher named Mike Bolsinger, who is a Blue Jays pitcher. Look, he was on the edge, right? He was on the fringe, really, of the majors. He was hanging on by his fingernails. He's a righty, throws about 90, you know, ERA up near five, just trying to just trying to go game by game. Comes in against the Astros in a game in August 2017. Astros are already winning big against the Blue Jays, and they just totally obliterate him, right? Destroy him. He gets one out. He gives up like four runs. Um, you know, they just hit after hit, walk after walk, comes off the mound, sent down to the minor leagues, never comes back to the majors again, right? This is effectively the end of his major league career, this outing against the Astros. Uh, doesn't discover until two years later, after he's gone to Japan for a while, after he's unemployed, that he ran into the Astros on the very peak of their cheating scheme. They never hit the trash can more times than they did that night against Mike Bolsinger, which happened to be the last night of his major league career. So thinking about victims like that, you know, exploring the the, the repercussions of what they did uh, in a broader way, the human cost of it is really something I hadn't considered all that much before when the scandal was really raging. Now, that's not to say that the Astros would not have beaten up Mike Bolsinger anyway. They had a great lineup, right? They could have probably done it fair. But why did a team that was this talented, that was World Series caliber already, feel like they had to take this extra step and just destroy people, right? Unfairly. 
That was a big question that kind of animated my entire exploration here in this series. Talking with Ben Ryder right now. You should check out The Edge. It is a six-part documentary podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of guests, you mentioned, you talked to Bolsinger in the first episode, Ben. You also spoke to Jeff Lunell. That's the former Astros president of baseball operations. Whenever there's a scandal of this type, you automatically look at those in power and say, okay, how did this happen? How did they not condemn these actions and change them? And, and clearly, Carlos Beltran, Alex Cora took a lot of the heat publicly, but Lunau lost his job. AJ Hinch uh, suspended. Hopefully, will bounce back with another job in baseball. What revelations did you find with Lunau? Because you know as well as I do, one thing with the Astros and their brain trust, they weren't particularly well liked by others in baseball. Everyone found them a little smarmy, a little arrogant, a little too smart for their own good. And that's why I think when the House of Cards fell down, there were a lot of people in baseball who said, See, I knew the Astros were doing something wrong. How did you find Lunau when you spoke to him? You know, I, I spoke to him for uh, a long time for this podcast. Uh, you've heard a little bit of it, or you've heard chunks of it, I should say. Over the first three episodes, we'll be diving deeper and deeper. Over the next three, you know, I found him to be open. He answered every one of my questions, and you'll hear those answers as the series goes along. I think he has a point on some level, right? Which is what he'll point out is that he and A.J. Hinch are the ones who have been, you know, pointed out for this, right? They're the ones who suffered the most severe consequences. Um, there's a lot more blame to go around if you think about it. You know, obviously the players, as we know, uh, escaped any punishment whatsoever, in part because they their agreement immunity with Rob Manfred. And in my opinion, you know, the players are kind of serving a punishment anyway, in that their reputations are now tarnished no matter what they do for the rest of their career. Those rings will never be the same. We've seen, as you said, that they're kind of now the villains of baseball, and I'm not sure that'll ever change. I think whenever we think of these guys, forever, whenever we think of that team, we'll think about the cheating. But I do think it's reasonable to say that, yes, Jeff Luno does have culpability in this as far as the culture of the organization, as far as perhaps not you know, making sure that things were happening as they should, but there's there's certainly more blame to go around than has currently been assigned. And that's a big part of my project too. Not to excuse what anybody did, but to figure out, are there people out there who have not kind of wrestled with this publicly, have not had the repercussions publicly that they should, and maybe they should. Are you, Ben, are you surprised by the Astros' continued success even after the, the scandal? I'm a bit surprised that they've come back from where, you know, as we're talking right now, they've won two in a row to come back 3-2 in the ALCS. But, you know, they performed kind of how you'd expect them to perform this year. Not having anything to do with the scandal, Mike, but having to do with the fact that they came into the year without the two best pitchers in the league that they had last year, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, that they don't have their closer, Roberto Asuna, that they don't have probably their best power hitter, Jordan Alvarez. You know, I, I think the fact that they were kind of middling through the regular season and wouldn't have made the playoffs if the playoffs were as they're usually constituted, I think that could be expected on some level. But I think we see their performance in the playoffs so far, even though it's, you know, small sample size alert. I think it shows that they do have this baseline, this nucleus of talent that even without all those guys I just mentioned, uh, they can make a deep run into the playoffs. So, no, I'm probably not surprised by either the regular season or the postseason. 
Dodgers-Astros would be an incredible World Series if we get there. It appears unlikely at this point in time, but Correa's home run in Game 5, just a massive moment, and a guy who clearly has uh, been yapping more than anybody about the scandal and what is people going to say about us now. And listen, I kind of enjoy it, Ben, to be honest with you. I, I enjoy the bravado, and I, like you, I've talked to Correa before. I actually enjoy his uh, perspective on things, and every sport needs a villain, and certainly he's a huge talent. And I'm with you. I think that they'd be a great team, regardless of the scandal, if not. Here's what I'm curious about. When you look at eight men out, right? Look at Shulish Joe Jackson. What happened to those ballplayers? They never really recovered. As you mentioned, the ballplayers themselves in this case are fine. Reputation certainly irreparably tarnished. But as far as the principles, what are the odds? Lunau, A.J. Hinch, the manager, Alex Cora, the bench coach, Carlos Beltran, who was named the manager of the Mets and then pushed out. What are the chances those four resurface in baseball one day? Because we love second acts. We love redemption in baseball. Will those four get another chance? The odds are very different for, for at least some of those guys. And then I think, I think it's more likely than not that A.J. Hinch will be a manager in Major League Baseball next spring. His, the respect he has in the game, you know, his integrity, even considering this one significant mistake that he made by not stopping the trash can banging, as we know uh, that he didn't, I think A.J. Hinch might be the front runner for certain jobs, whether it's with the White Sox or whatever other jobs might be open. I think Alex Cora will be back very soon. Um, I think Carlos Beltran may have a place to return uh, if he wants to. I think it's going to be a lot tougher road for Jeff Luno, uh, given you know some of the antagonism against him, uh, given how his reputation has turned. Um, I would be somewhat surprised personally, to see him return in any sort of like GM or president of baseball ops role. But look, this is a guy who has a lot of skills and a lot of talents. Uh, He actually applied everything that he learned in the business world as far as efficiency, uh, as far as how to run an organization to baseball. So he's somebody who's going to have all sorts of opportunities. I'd be surprised personally if he's welcomed back to baseball with open arms. All right, once again, thanks to Ben Ryder, The Edge, which launched Wednesday, October 7th. It's available every Wednesday through November 4th, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, wherever you get your shows. Mike Bolsinger was a guest on episode one. Also, Jeff Luna was featured, as we just spoke about, and Chase Utley, great member of the Phillies and the Dodgers as well, this week's guest for The Edge. Ben, phenomenal job first predicting the fact the Astros would win the 2017 World Series and now an excellent job picking up the pieces of where they are and if they complete this comeback against the Rays and go to the World Series I expect another podcast about that from you as well. One thing I've learned about the Astros is just when you think you've finished with the story there's always a next chapter (laughs) (laughs) Just when you think you're out Ben they pull you back in (laughs) Exactly right, that's right Mike. Thanks a lot, fun to talk to you guys as always Ah, thanks once again to Ben Ryder. He was terrific. For Michael Lombardi, I'm Adnan Burke. Thank you, as always, for checking out the GM Shuffle. Please go to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Once again, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, Adnan S. Furk and M. Lombardi NFL. And at the GM Shuffle is on Instagram as well. We'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the football.